Everybody has had an occasional bad day, or even a bad week. Maybe you had a flat tire on the way to work. Perhaps you had an auto accident, and the other pe person lied to police, and you found out later that he had no insurance. Maybe, possibly, you bought ice cream and forgot it in the car, and it melted all over the carpet, leaving a big stinking mess. We're instructed to praise the Lord, even though we go through some trial, and even though we have issues with our attitudes. How can we accomplish this? Is it something we have to do, like following rules, or do we need to find the real reason for God-directed praise? Is it us, or is there some greater vision we need to have? Don't we need to praise God because he deserves it, and not because we feel like it? Fostering the discipline of praising God, even though we have had adverse experiences, is not what we would consider to be normal. How can we accomplish this in a way that's pleasing to God? Hello, and welcome to God's Word for You for today, from Liberty Lake Church. This is part two in the series called, First Peter, Victorious Christian Living Through Suffering. We'll look at several scriptures today, so take out your Bible and open it to First Peter, chapter one, verse three, and follow along with Pastor Shane Priest as he reveals where God taught him this last week and gave him some sermon illustrations in the session titled, An Attitude Adjustment, Praise God Anyway. Boy, it's helpful, isn't it, to be reminded that we're here to praise and give thanks for the work that Christ has done, for the work of the cross, our hope uh, that we have. I'm reminded of that in the text, and I have to come before you and admit that I'm confessing something first off uh, which I was—I spent a good part of my week wanting to avoid, and uh, because it's a ridiculous thing to have to confess. But I have committed to being honest with you and and uh, deal with my junk um, as as I'm dealing with life. Uh, and I think it's very pertinent to the text that we're in um, this week, uh, because as I have wrestled with it all week, and I haven't wrestled with the issue, I've wrestled with the text. I kept coming back to the ridiculousness of. Uh, this particular attitude that I had. And as I explain the attitude, some of you will sympathize with me. Some of you will think in your head, oh my goodness, he's a pathetic sap. And then others of you will be in complete quandary. But just if you would for a moment, imagine your own issues in life that might bring you to such a petty, selfish moment. So here's this situation. Uh, we are taking our a uh, new car in for a scheduled uh, maintenance overhaul thing that they have to do, and they put coatings and do all this stuff, and then they'll warranty it, whatever. And I take the car in, and I drop it off, and I'm feeling, honestly, I'm feeling very good about my my attitude towards my car, because at this point, I, I have not allowed the human pride of life to creep in and and think of myself more highly than I ought. And you guys remember some of the text we read last week, right? Um and as I'm studying this whole thing about the conditions of the believers that Peter's writing this uh, a, a letter to and encouraging them in their faith. And so I go into the dealership and um, I told Julie and a few of others about this. So uh, I confessed it right away. Uh, but they they 
They sent me to to Parker Toyota to pick up a rental. Thank you, some of you at least. I'm dropping off my dream car, and they sent me to Parker Toyota for RAV4. Now, that should not affect my heart in any way, right? I'm, I'm living in America, driving my dream car, and for some reason, my heart, like, twisted. And I had to confess a bad attitude about driving a Toyota RAV4. Now, this is the part that really, really got a hold of my heart this week is as I'm reading through the text, I'm preparing a sermon that talks about us living in light of the hope that we have, this living hope that we have through Christ and how it should affect how we live. At no point in my praise of God that day was I thanking him for a rental, a free rental. I did thank him for the free rental. It didn't take me all day to figure this out. In fact, as I walked out of the dealership, I went, oh, Lord, I need you to purify my heart. This is ridiculous. I had a few good friends around me to help me keep perspective on that attitude. But we're in a similar spot in in Peter, and that's the reason that as we start off this morning, I want to take a second and consider the praise of God. Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorruptible, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have to drive a RAV4. No, I'm sorry. You have, you, you have had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love him though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you search and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels desire to look into these things. Um, I just want to clarify, one of the reasons I read a broader scope of the text than just the few verses we're working on is I want to keep us in context. I I don't want us to lose sight of of the letter and and where we're at, because sometimes we can get so focused in on on a situation that will lose sight of the broader scope. So um, we're going to focus this morning on three, uh, just a couple of verses here up in in the beginning part of what we read there in verse three. I want us to think about the worthiness of God to be praised. Peter is here encouraging his believers. He reminds them that they're exiles, and then he says, praise the Lord, praise God. And he starts to describe for us 
some of the reasons that God is to be praised. But the first thing I think that we should consider as believers, if we testify that we believe that God is who he says he is, do we praise him for who he is, not just what he's done for us? Um, and it got me thinking about uh, our view of God. How grand is God in the scope of, in the light of eternity, but in the light of this moment, in the light of our lives right now? And um, it reminded me of a passage in Luke chapter 19, verses 37 through 40. Uh, we, we actually see here that Jesus is, is on his way into Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. And he says this, now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives. And the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. But some of the Pharisees uh, from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. When we think of praising God, when we think of who he is, do we recognize him how the Bible says that he is? Does it cause us to come to praise of him? I think there, we're going to see a great reason to praise him this morning. We're going to see a, a, a description of a living hope and an inheritance that is ours through Christ. But we as his people should be a people of praise. One of the great convictions of my heart this week is that I was complaining about a RAV4 in my, in my heart. I really was. And yet I claim to know the God of the universe. I claim to be a follower of the God of the universe. I claim to live the living hope that we're going we're gonna to look through and see to, to be a, a, a child of God that has an inheritance that is incorruptible. How is it possible that I could have my eyes so focused on myself at that moment that I would be that petty? I can only imagine the believers of Peter's day being ran out of their house, being persecuted as they are. How much harder it must have been for them not to be selfish? not to be concerned about their daily needs, their family, or their physical safety. I was very convicted of my attitude this week. Would we be a people that would require the rocks to cry out to the praise and glory of God? Well, that that would not be the case for us. So what is some of the reasons that God is worthy of our praise. I love uh, Ephesians and, and uh, how Paul talks about the Lord. If, if you turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we're only going to catch part of it uh, here. There, there's a whole sentence that continues on uh, for many, many of our sentences. Uh, Paul does not find our grammar to be restrictive at all in his writing styles. But in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, it's in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven, in the heavens, in Christ. We have, we have an immense treasure in Christ as his children, access to God. And that's where we, I, I love how Paul says that. And there's part of me that just, 
I just wonder how much Peter and Paul talked about their experience and, and interacted because sometimes you read some of what Peter's writing here and you think, man, that sounds a lot like Paul. He, he, they must have had a pretty similar view of God. Maybe they had a similar conversation with Jesus as he was teaching them who he was and what we have. We pick up in verse 3 of 1 Peter again. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love the idea of this new birth, and you would think that I would go to Nicodemus and we would talk with him about in Jesus' discussion with him, but I also really enjoyed John's description of who Christ is in the very beginning of the book of John, John chapter 1. Verse 12, he says, But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Through Jesus, we are given a new birth and it's into a living hope. You know, when we think of new things, we think of things being new. Uh, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but when we get new stuff, uh, gifts or, or anything like that, um, flowers are particularly good at this, Right. Um, except my bride, we got flowers from the adorable flower shop. Uh, she, it's a great little place. You have to go check it out. Say hi to Josh when you go down there, uh, if you would. We're trying to win him to the Lord, so uh, he and his bride. Uh, I keep bragging about you guys every time I'm in there talking about him. So uh, when you go in there, tell, me, tell him you, uh, you're from Liberty Lake. Uh, but they gave my bride some flowers uh, because they were worried about our Mother's Day order and how it went wrong or something in their preparation. And Sally mentioned it this morning. She goes, man, that's funny. Look, these flowers haven't faded at all. And we've had them for over a week now sitting in a vase in the house and they haven't changed. Why is that rare? Why is that odd? Because flowers fade quickly, right? Typically, you get a beautiful new flower, you put it in a vase and what happens? Shortly after it fades. What a great masterful, uh, economic, brilliant design that they had when they made giving your bride a flower a sign of love. <laughs> right? You got to stay on that. If, if, that's, if that's the only way you're communicating your love to your bride, you got to stay on that because that thing fades and you don't want to leave that picture sitting on the table. So often in our lives, the things of this earth fade quickly, even when they're brand new. And we lose sight of them. When we think about being born again in Christ, some of you have been living in that new life longer than I've been alive. Is it still brand new? Is it still alive? Or is it like the flowers sitting on our tables, wilted, and fading. I think when we see the truth of what the gospel is, we'd have to admit that the only reason it would fade is because we're losing connection with the truth. The new, this new life, this new birth does not lose its life. It doesn't lose anything in the process. I'm going to see that as Peter explains it. But this new life is into a living hope through Christ. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. 
Again, we rely on Paul sometimes to help us see a, a broad picture or a better picture of, of these truths. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 through 24. Now, we have to understand, I would encourage you to go back and, and read earlier in the text because Paul is arguing with the, uh, the Pharisees at this time about the, the importance of the resurrection. Peter mentions it here, that this living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And... and uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards at his coming, the people of Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power. Did you catch verse 22? For just as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will will be made alive. It is through Christ that you and I have a living hope. It It is through his work on the cross. It is not our current circumstances. It's not our life experiences. It's not the challenges that we face here on this earth. It's um, pathetically, it's, it's, not, it's not having to drive a RAV4. And, it, and the reason I keep bringing that up, because I think there's times in our lives, you guys, where, where we hang on to stuff, um, where I'll lock in and hang on to something that is so insignificant in the scope of eternity. It, it has so little value for what Christ is doing uh, with our neighborhoods, with, with his gospel, what he's doing in our own lives. You know, I mentioned Josh um, down at Adorkable, and I'm, I'm, I, this is not a commercial, even though I have a bunch of his cards in there. You guys, I, I really do want it to be our mission to see this young man and his bride come to know the Lord. They live in our community. Uh, they're starting a business down there. And by the grace of God, I got to spend an extra 30 minutes with them the other day because they felt like their order had been messed up. And, and so as they were explaining to me, uh, they were apologizing to my bride and I about how, how uh, horrible they felt about their poor business practices. They were blown away that my bride and I were not upset at them. They referenced it. They're like, wow, you guys are really handling this well. Most people have been so rude to us for the last couple of days. We really appreciate how you're handling this. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Now, I don't, there was not a who went to church meter, fortunately, as they came in uh, to their store to reveal how many of us were, as Christians, were wandering in there beating them up. But in my head, I wondered, how many people walked through those doors with the potential of the gospel and yet they lost it because they were so focused on that immediate thing that they were doing. They were so upset about driving a RAV4. Think about how silly that is. You're going to buy flowers for your mother and you're, you're chewing out or you're being rude to the people who are making the flowers for you. Isn't that ridiculous? And yet they were blown away by my bride and I that we were we were so kind. Now, I love this because I'm stealing this from uh, Stephen Baldwin's uh, housekeeper. They think we're there to buy flowers. 
That's not what that's not what we're there for. We're there to be gospel lights. But for me to be a gospel light, I have to have my eyes on the living hope. I can't be focused on the, the, the immediate things, the selfish things in my heart that would cause me to be all about me. At any point, if you guys in your minds you want to go, man, he's really taking this rab four thing pretty far, please. Uh, I am. I get it. I am. Because I, I want to expose the blackness of my heart in a safe way so that you feel comfortable letting God look at that in your heart. As we consider what it means to be children of God, to be living in this hope that we have in Jesus, to understand what our inheritance is. Look at, look at Colossians 3, 23 and 24. I get it. You know, we don't really understand inheritance like they would back in this time. And I don't have time to get into the entire uh, the scope of the Jewish tradition of this, partly because I don't really understand all of it yet. I haven't I haven't spent hours researching or, or uh, interacting with Jewish scholars on this um, particular point. But we know from the Old Testament and we know uh, as we see Jesus talk about the parable of the uh, prodigal son, that the firstborn inheritance, this identity of getting the double portion and being being the head of a family when the when the next when when the father dies to have that role to take that inheritance, it's a grand thing. In our economy, I think inheritance has has dwindled. Um, we have so many battles over getting equal shares and and over money. And, and all of those things. And some of the darkest times of a family will be at the death of, a, of their last parent. And not because of the lament of losing their family, but because of the wars that ensue over who gets what. So I, I think at times we look at inheritance and we can have a bad view or it can be um, seen maybe incorrectly from a biblical standpoint. Look at what Paul says about how we live this life. And I want you to remember, this is in Colossians chapter 3, just a few verses before that he talks about wives and husbands and children and fathers and slaves. He, he gives us all instructions, marching order, orders on how to live like Christ and live as a church together right before this. And then he says, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. There's two aspects of the inheritance that I wrestle with, and, and we won't be able to look at all of them, but let me encourage us to, to possibly exchange our view of our inheritance as being just a salvation to uh, escape hell. As true as that is, as true as our souls are being saved, I believe we're also called into an inheritance that gives us the ability, to, not only the ability, but gives us the challenge and the call to live today as his children, as lights in, our God, in, in the community. What I love about his description, did you see his description? It is imperishable. What's an imperishable product or item? What do we have on this earth that's imperishable? Twinkies? Okay. <laughs> I got to tell you, I hadn't thought of Twinkies. I was on the plastic products, but Twinkies were not on my, on, 
on my list. What do we think of when we think of imperishable? Disposable diapers. Many things. Yeah. And yet, when we have a view of imperishable, it is always based within our world that is fading, right? The grandest length of time we can get is out is in our history books. And once we once let's just be honest, once we pass a couple hundred years, we're all kind of like, huh? Right? Some no? You guys can fathom what it was like to be on the Oregon Trail in a wagon coming across those mountains that we drive over at 65 or 80, depending on what car you're in. Um, through those mountain passes, you can fathom what that was like in a, in a covered wagon. It would be like driving. <laughs> Thank you. And teasing my son, I said, I, would, I think a horse and a carriage would have been better, but I didn't realize how accurate that was. You guys, I watched some of the stories, some of the, the historical re replays of those events, and I realized in my own life, I can't fathom being in that wagon. Do you know I actually grew up driving horses? I, I'm a teamster. I have almost 10 years behind draft horses, driving draft horses. We grew up farming that way. It was horrible. Horrible. Do you know how long it took to do the job that a tractor? I think there was farmers driving around going, ha ha, driving their tractors around us. Can you imagine crossing this country like that? We can't hardly sit for 30 minutes without going, well, what's next? And they spent months suffering. When I think of imperishable, I have a small view of what that is. Because the best I can conjure up is something that we've, that we've designed or built that somehow lasts longer than other things. But I have a hard time thinking about what's truly imperishable. And Peter says, that's our inheritance. He says it's uncorruptible. Let me give you the definition here if you're filling out your notes. Not subject to decay, enduring or occurring forever. I apologize, I not used to having help. And so, I'm going to give you a second one. Uncorruptible. It's undefiled, pure, untainted, without ritual or, by implication, moral fault. Now, again, when we start coming to uncorruptible in this concept, this is outside of being cleansed from corruption. This is not that idea. When, when we think of something that's uncorruptible, something that cannot be tainted, tainted or tarnished or, or, or any of those things that can't be corrupted. Let's just be honest. When I come to the gospel and I come to that process, I struggle with my heart thinking, Lord, how is it possible that you can offer an inheritance to somebody like me? How is it possible that you can offer me this child position promising that you're going to do all of this and that it's going to change. And I'm still such a selfish, self-focused person that a RAV4 bothers me. I have a hard time believing that the inheritance is uncorruptible because I'm such a mess. And yet that's what Peter says it is. Beyond our ability to comprehend, I think. It is uncorruptible, unfading, 
He says that it's unfading, not losing color or freshness, which I don't think that's the exact definition. Uh, I grabbed this from Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. But he says, not losing value or effectiveness. Not losing value or effectiveness. You know, i got to be honest with you. When I think about my inheritance in heaven, As a young man, I, I think that probably the way that we value, would evaluate it well, that we think of this inheritance kind of like Christmas, right? Uh, when we're young, it's like, man, it's never going to get here. This is going to last forever. Yeah, Actually, children do have the sense of forever, don't they? If you ask a kid how long it's taken to get something done or to get to the next birthday or to get to Christmas, it's taking forever. It's never going to happen. Yet, as we mature and become more experienced in life, isn't it a mysterious thing how it speeds up? How suddenly things that would never happen happened repeatedly like 40 times and you wake up going, what? What? How am I a grandpa? I'm not. Wait. I'm not a grandpa yet. I should qualify that. My bride and I were having a discussion about that going, you realize we're grandparent age we don't feel grandparent age it happened i believe that we can see from peter second uh, peter chapter three if you look at that that peter's writing a letter to believers that are probably getting discouraged i believe they're experiencing life happening at a pace that is painful they're suffering for their faith in in ways that i can't even imagine I mean, we read about them, but, but I really can't fathom what it would be like to risk losing my life right now to testify that I believe in Jesus and that I'm His disciple. And in referring to the day of the Lord, um, Peter is encouraging the believers in uh, uh, chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. I'm, so, I'm sorry, verse, uh, what did I do? Verse 8 and 9, yes. Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is, a, is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I believe there is a time in our lives where we may get discouraged, where we may see the truth of who we are, and we may lose hope that this inheritance that we've been promised, this, this protection that we're going to see uh, Peter reference in here, that, man, is God really going to show up? Is he really going to be faithful through this? And Peter reminds his, the, the, the readers of Second Peter that God doesn't function on our time frame. He, we're talking about an inheritance that is outside of this creation. It's unworldly in our context. It is supernatural because it is based on a supernatural God. It is based on, a, on Christ Jesus himself and our God and Father in heaven. And so it's not, it's not con, it, controlled or contaminated by us or, or by our circumstances. It's not, it, it's not held back because of those things. But by his grace and design, he's above and outside of that time and he's watching it and he's masterfully accomplishing his task. And in that we should find hope. That is where our living hope comes to meet our mundane lives. 
where we can go to a flower shop and have them mess up our order and have to wait an extra 20 minutes and get to talk to them about the gospel. I got to find out why they didn't go to church anymore. It's kind of easy to do when they know you're buying churches for a fl- or flowers for the church. I didn't have to fake it. I didn't have to try and sneak in my discussion about Jesus. Like, you're buying stuff for a church. Yep. Why? Well, our living hope, this truth affects how we live. It should. This asks the, the, the final part of the chapter here, or this the, the couple of verses we're in, he says this. Verse 4, And into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorruptible, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, you are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I cannot tell you how often I find God to be behind on my time frame. I all, so often I feel like He's late. And yet if we understand what Scripture says, He's never late. He's always on time. Always. It's my job to see Him in that moment. It's my job to trust Him in that moment. Here, uh, Peter says that God's protecting us. He's actually keeping us uh, guarded or protected by His power through faith. One of the things I was wrestling with, man, is that my faith? I think it's the process of God building faith in us. John 10, 27 says this, My sheep hear my voice, and and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father has given them to me. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. As we think about the hope that we have in the gospel, how it affects our daily living, how it affects the trials, the difficulties, the the opportunities for the gospel that we have. We need to trust and lean on the Lord. It is this faith that is built. And I love this description of faith. Um, I got this out of the Poxic Pocket lexicon uh, to the Greek New Testament. It is this. Um, It says the definition is faith, belief, or trust, generally of the leaning of the entire human personality upon God or the Messiah in absolute trust and confidence in His power, wisdom, and goodness. And we looked at this when we looked at trusting the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But how is the truth of the gospel being lived out in our lives by faith? Are we trusting God for His power, wisdom, and goodness? Can you look at a RAV4 moment and say, God, rather than being selfish and self-focused at this point in time, I want to turn and glorify you for what you are doing. God, give me opportunity to be a gospel light at the Toyota Parker dealership. Help me to to reflect your glory and celebrate your goodness in this ridiculously petty moment. There are so many more grand things that we will experience and have opportunity to reflect the glory of God in in our daily lives than a RAV4, and I get it. 
Many of you are struggling with things much, much greater than that. But I believe that this truth affects them as well. Because it is not based on you and me, it is not based on our human conditions, but it is based on Christ and God the Father. Outside of this world, the designer and perfecter of our faith, I can trust Him. What does it mean for you to live and to walk in living hope today? What does it mean for us to be in the praise of God because of who He made us to be? I believe that part of, uh, part of how we live this out is that we get honest and, and connected with one another and we confess when we're having RAV4 moments. It's going to be a thing, I know. I just know it. When we're struggling, when, when life has a hold of us, sometimes the best thing we can do is lean on somebody next to us that can help remind us about the truth of who God is, the truth of who we are in Christ. Brothers and sisters, you have a great privilege of a body of believers here to lean on, to be available to lean on, to care for one another, and to hold each other up in the midst of great, great challenges. I would encourage you, I would encourage you to grab a hold of somebody close, someone here, and trust them enough to share the weaknesses and the pains and the difficulties of life so that we can together point each other back to the truth of who we are and who who God is as our Lord and Savior and King. Because in that, we can experience a great living hope And it can affect how we live each day, how we love, how we hurt, how we worship. So as we consider praising God this morning with another song, I want to encourage you to consider whatever it is that's in your life. Lay it before the cross this morning and put it in the scope of this this inheritance and living hope that is unperishable, uncorruptible, and unfading, kept in heaven for you and for me, ready to be revealed in the last time. What a hope we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, God, that you have established these things because of who you are, not because of me, not because of any one of us but before the foundations of the earth, you have established this truth. Father, would you help us to see beyond our human conditions, our human strengths and weaknesses, the frailties of our life, the the pain, the, the joys, all of the things that make us who we are today. Would you help us to look past that to who you are and to keep our eyes fixed on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, with that truth, would you transform our hearts this week in every aspect, every challenge that we face. May we reflect your glory. May we reflect the truth of a living hope. 
that our community and our culture is desperately in need of. May you be glorified today in our praise in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message from Liberty Lake Church in Liberty Lake, Washington. Our pastor, our elders, and our prayer watch team are available to pray with you or to answer any questions you may have. Contact us through www.LibertyLakeChurch.com or follow us on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and welcome any comments you may have. As always, we appreciate your prayer support. Join us next week on God's Word for You for today for another message from Liberty Lake Church. Thank you again, and God bless.